Hey guys, Jules here. So as many of you may know, for the past four years or so, I have belonged to a book club organized under the umbrella of the international organization called The Well-Read Mom. And recently, a few months ago during Advent, we focused on a spiritual classic, which I had honestly never heard of before (laughs) joining the club. It's a little known book, but it packs quite a punch, honestly. Carol Hauslander's Read of God. There's no fancy intro for this episode, listeners. There's no witty story. We're going to keep things simple for today because the beauty of this book is its simplicity. So listeners, as we enter more fully into our Lenten journey, let's use this episode and this mighty book, The Read of God, to understand more about how we are all called under the witness and guidance of the Blessed Mother to bring Christ into the world. So that's it. This is the story of the read of God and the resurgence of Sheed and War. heard of Carol Hauslander simply as a name on a paper which happened to fall into my lap about once a month. (laughs) Anyone who gets a subscription to the Magnificat knows exactly what I'm talking about. Carol Hauslander's writing slowly started peeking into my brain a few years ago when the Magnificat started using some of her works in its daily devotionals. But that's really where it stopped for me. (laughs) I come across brilliant writing all the time and I often think oh it's just someone else I have to look up my list is already so long (laughs) and so I leave it with these small little snippets but I often don't attempt to look at the wider expansive context of someone's writing that all changed this year thank goodness when our list of books to read for the well-read mom was this small spiritual giant the read of God. Now, here's the thing. It took about 10 pages into reading this book, and I knew I wanted to do an episode on it. (laughs) Because at the heart of my own journey with this book, I had one central question, honestly. Why am I only now, or really just the past two years, hearing about Carol Hauslander? And illustrating that question for me also came with the simple fact that I couldn't seem to find any scholar who had written about this book or its extraordinary author. But thankfully, my search was ended and my prayers were answered as I found out about this wonderful woman. Hi, I'm Kelly Spurl. I teach at St. Anselm College, which is the Benedictine College of New England. Dr. Spurl has been a professor of theology at St. Anselm's College since 1996. She specializes in early Christianity, but has taught a wide variety of courses over the years, including a course on Christian spirituality and women in the Catholic tradition. And I've taught Carol Hauslander in a variety of courses that I teach in. Dr. Spurl discovered Carol Hauslander much in the same way I did, through people who were actually willing to republish her work. 
I was introduced to her when I was working before I took up my appointment at St. Anselm College. I was working for Sophia Institute Press, which re was in the process of republishing some of her works, and that's how I came to know her and to actually try to do some more scholarship on her, which I, which I truly believe she deserves. Now, like I already mentioned, I had such a hard time <laughs> finding someone to speak about Carol Hauslander. There is such little information and scholarship out there about her, which I will get to in a bit, frankly. But finally, my search was ended when I discovered an article written by Dr. Spurl. 2009, I, was, I gave a speech about her at John Carroll University for a lecture series I was involved in at the time. And then I turned that speech into an article for the British spirituality journal, The Way, which I think is how you found me. Yep. She's right. <laughs> and it took a while to find her, mainly because of just the lack of scholarship about Carol Hauslander. But I think I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, because in order to understand Hauslander's writings and her impact today, we have to seek to first understand the woman herself. So with Dr. Spurl as our guide, who exactly was Carol Hauslander? She is born in 1901. She is not Catholic. She was baptized as a Catholic as when she was six years old when her mother converted to Catholicism. Carol Hauslander came from an upper middle class background. Her mother was a tennis player, even playing at Wimbledon. They hosted house parties, and basically the first part of her life was one of immense privilege. That is, until one moment changed everything for Carol. Her parents eventually divorced when she was nine years old. And, and at that point, as is the case, unfortunately, for many women, when they get divorced, you know, their mother's fortunes really declined. And she, she opened a boarding house. After her parents' divorce, Carol's social status and mobility, along with her mother's, quickly declined. She still had some measure of privilege. She was sent to various boarding schools over the years, for example. But her poor health and her mother's business soon forced Carol to move back with her mom for good when she was in her teens. But this is the most important thing to note about this time. Because though she came from privilege in her earliest years, Carol knew what it was like to live without. And specifically what economic downward mobility meant in terms of her understanding of the poor and suffering. She and her mother experienced immense social ostracizing after her parents' divorce, specifically because her mother ran a boarding house, which was considered to be scandalous at best. And this social ostracizing even continued in the walls of the church. They are feeling some measure of social ostracization, which really kind of alienates her from the church. She talks about an incident where she went to church. I know about this from New England, where you had to pay seat, seat rent, like you were expected to, I don't know, give a couple of coins to, you know, find a pew and she didn't have it. And they said, well, you know, you can't come in. And that was kind of a triggering. She said, okay, I'm done here. After leaving the church in her early 20s, Carol goes on a spiritual journey of sorts, always seeking to find her heart's longing. She lived in London, supported herself by being a wood carver, went to art school, worked in restaurants, theater companies. She basically lived the life of a modern urban woman. She even, by the way, had an affair with 
with the Russian spy Sidney Riley, who many believed James Bond is based off of. Fun fact about Carol. But all the while, she went deeper and deeper into her spiritual journey. She sought out the practices of Buddhists, of Jewish teachings, of all sorts of religions and spiritual practices, but she couldn't quite seem to stay away from the church of her upbringing. And so as her affair ended and her life was spiritually exhausted, Carol found herself back in the Catholic church in her late 20s. She went to work actually for an ecclesiastical decorator, one of the most famous at the time by the name of Grosset, who specialized in making stations of the cross. And though we don't know this for sure, we can assume that Carol was probably responsible for carving the stations of the cross. Kind of cool, huh? <laughs> and during this time, Carol also began dabbling in writing, primarily writing in all places for children's publications. And through these writings, Carol came to the attention of two powerhouses in the world of Catholic publishing in 20th century Great Britain. And so she's doing that through the 20s, later 20s and into the 30s. And through them, that work, she came to the attention of Frank and Maisie Ward, and they, they came to know some of her writings, and then they asked her to write, put together her first book, which was This War is the Passion. Yes, Frank Sheed and Maisie Ward, the superpower Catholic evangelist couple who went on to publish some of the most influential writings of the 20th century, including Houselander's work. Now, this book, Dr. Sproul mentions, This War is Passion, was almost immediately a success. Remember, Europe was in the middle of another terrible war. And Houselander's first book attempts to navigate the questions which, of course, come up during times of great trial and suffering. This book begins her career with the publishing house. She was actually Sheed and Ward's most popular selling author, even more popular than Frank Sheed himself, believe it or not. But unfortunately, her career would only last a little over a decade. From then on, she did publish, you know, articles for other publications, but she was really, she became one of their most famous authors, best-selling authors, and she was publishing for them up until the time of her death in 1954. Carol Houselander wrote Read of God in 1944, shortly after the end of World War II. The text very much continues Houselander's theological thought from This War is Passion, but does so under the lens of Marian devotion. Remember, Houselander lived at a time when the church was actively promoting Marian devotions and scholarship, and really Mary was a central figure, if not the central figure, besides Jesus in the lives of everyday Christians. Now this book is small, but it is mighty, you guys. There is a lot to unpack in its 190 pages. So for our discussion about the book today, I wanted to do something I've done in the past when trying to break down kind of complex complex but beautiful things. We're going to have three central points to focus on for this book. Points which I hope will continue to have an impact on each of our spiritual lives, especially this Lenten season. So point one, the image of the reed and a theological term which we need to understand in order to get at the heart of Houselander. Kenosis, achieving emptiness. 
becomes a foundational principle in all schools of Christian spirituality. And when I say emptiness, basically what you're trying to say is you're trying to achieve that that state where your ego and your will, which is our most fundamental addiction, is in no way an impediment to your obedience to the will of God. And that's always seen, but that's the thing. We don't want to self-empty. We don't want, we will always want to say, my will, not thine, be done. You know, I mean, me first, and I want things exactly the way I want them. And of course, that's the problem, is that you can't be obedient to the will of God, however it manifests in your life, if you are, it's basically the fact that we're all innate, that's part of original sin, we're all control freaks. And so I think for her, she said, this is what's so key about Mary. Mary, she imitates Christ's own kenosis in saying, okay, you know, this is totally interrupting my life plans and it's going to create trouble for me. How am I going to explain this to Joseph? But okay. Okay, let it be done unto me according to thy word. She's got that perfect posture of saying, okay, I'm putting all my agenda off the table. This is your agenda. All right. And so I think that, and the read, she says, the through which the image of, I mean, because it's an image of a hollow thing through which God can work the music of salvation, if you will. Now, a reed, of course, is the mouthpiece added to certain instruments. It is the hollow thing which breath goes through to produce sound. As Hauslander writes, Mary was like a reed through which the eternal love was to be piped as a shepherd's song. Hauslander makes other references to this hollowing, this emptiness in the first chapters of her book. She says we're called to be empty, hollow nests, for example. She uses the imagery of chalices also and how Christ fills us to the brim. And this emptying is the foundation, the starting point for Houselander in the spiritual journey. It is the central act of beginning, of which, of course... Mary is our model. And again, the problem in spirituality, I think the great genius talking about this is St. Augustine. You know, he's the real, he's the real person who articulates the, that as the egoism of the effects of, of original sin, which is that we just always want to say, me first, my will not thine be done. I have to control everything. And that is the thing that all spiritual practices are trying to root out. Which brings me to the second point to discuss in Carol Hauslander's The Read of God. And it's honestly my favorite point that she made in this book. Carol Hauslander goes into great detail numerous times throughout the book to discuss how important it was that Mary simply went about raising the Son of God in her ordinary life. And then at the end, she talks about when she, you'd sort of think, okay, well, you know, after Christ resurrects and ascends and and Christ has given her over to the care of St. John, you'd sort of think, okay, she's in kind of in retirement, right? She's just going to be secluded. And she says, no, no, she just went back to live with John. And she kind of did the usual stuff she was doing, cleaning the house, making the kind of cakes that little, that boys love. She kind of ties that up. Like, you know, she was never 
in a period of seclusion. You know, it was just always bearing witness within the stream of ordinary daily life. Now, this manifests in two primary ways for Houselander. One, Mary could have chosen to live a life of seclusion, right? She could have cloistered herself, as Houselander wrote, so as to not allow the world into her child's existence. But she didn't. (laughs) She went about her life as she would have, pregnant with the son of man or not. Houselander writes, God simply asked her for her ordinary life. But the second part of this is even more important for us and for Houselander. The ordinariness of Mary's life is only possible with her initial yes. And this yes, this fiat, is the yes we are all called to make in the everyday ordinariness of our lives. I mean, I think there are two dimensions of her, the Marian side of her idea of Christian discipleship. One, I think, is absolutely critical when she keeps saying, what is the job of a disciple to follow Mary in saying, let it be done to me according to thy word. You know, the quotes from Luke's uh, account of the Annunciation. She says, that is it. You know, that's discipleship in a nutshell, is being able to say yes to the will of God for you. So I think that's absolutely key. And I mean, this this insight has been confirmed. This was a big, I think, the thing, a big thing in the t- Marian teaching of uh, St. John Paul II, that all discipleship, because of Mary's initial yes, has this Marian dimension to it, because we're all trying to imitate Mary in her, as Houselander says, her fiat, right? Let it be done unto me according to thy word. The great fiat of Our Lady is meant to be a model for the fiats we are each called to make. For Houselander, this central component of the Christian life, these fiats, these small acts of surrender to the will of the Father, are how we are all called to live. She writes that Our Lady said yes for the human race, and each one of us must echo that yes in our own lives. In God, my Savior, my soul rejoices, my soul rejoices. Which brings me to the final point of discussion of Carol Houselander's book, The Read of God. And it's this, the idea of bringing Christ forth into the world. The image of Mary, which seems to garnish the most attention, at least in the first half of the book, is the image of the God-bearer. Houselander loves talking about this image, by the way. This idea that Mary models in a physical way what we are each called to do in both a physical and a spiritual way, to bring Christ forth into the world. And so in that respect, we're like Mary because we're letting Christ come into the world, right? And we're saying yes. Insofar as I say yes to God, like Mary, I welcome 
whatever way in which I am called to show forth Christ in my life, whether it is Christ teaching, Christ healing, Christ suffering, Christ dying, whatever. The heart of this action, this act of bringing Christ into the world, is the recognition of Christ in everybody. I can't stress enough how important this was for Houselander. In fact, one of her earliest visions, Houselander is said, by the way, to have experienced many private visions, is the vision on the subway car. She's in London, and I think the urban thing is important for her. One of her other big visions, you know, is about she's on the subway, and all of a sudden she sees everyone on the subway car looks like Christ to her, or she says, I see Christ in all of them. And this moment really shapes how Houselander will see her brethren for the rest of her life. Remember, because of her own downward mobility, Houselander had a very deep concern for the poor, especially the urban poor. So her deep love for Christ in everyone was the foundation to her entire spiritual life and writings. I'm going to go a step further here, (laughs) because it actually has to do with how I found out about Dr. Sproul. When I went searching for any expert who could speak about Carol Hauslander, I found this article by Dr. Sproul titled The Divine Eccentric and the Prophet of Vatican II. And according to Dr. Sproul in this article, just how was Hauslander a prophet of Vatican II? It is through this idea of Christ in all, or all of us united in Christ, often referred to in the church as the mystical body. So we're witness, we're bringing forth Christ ourselves in seeing the Christological dimensions of our own lives and embracing them. But also we are called to do that in looking at others, all others, but particularly, this is, I think, the Franciscan influence in her thought, in those who are marginalized within society. And so no, I mean, everybody is Christ, everybody. And and I think, you know, that's part of her kind of mystical vision is she was very much able to intuit that and say, everybody is Christ. Christ is present in everybody. And you just have to figure out what aspect of Christ is being shown forth in this person's life. Now, on the one hand, Houselander is, of course, a devout Catholic, and her theology is deeply rooted in church teaching. She makes reference frequently to all baptized Christians, by the way, in her writings. But even here, there is something important to note, because remember, Houselander was a very familiar with the social mores of the day, and that means she frequently saw members of her own community ostracizing and leaving to the side other people because of their social status. Part of her mission, and really central to the mission of her writings, was to help people truly understand what it meant to be united in Christ. Remember, Houselander began her writing career while her homeland and the world was in the middle of a war. Christians are uniting with other Christians to fight fascism and Nazism. But here's the thing, raging anti-Semitism and, as we all know, the terrible horror of the Holocaust was supported, promoted, and even carried out by some Christians. So in the midst of this context, these two battling worldviews in Christianity, Carol Hauslander is trying to help everyone make sense of central realities. 
you know, again, I think you see a kind of, um, you know, just a desire to move beyond that hardcore binary position that had been, you know, there from the post-Reformation period to say, no, there, there are spiritual insights here and there is genuine spiritual longing here. And we have to affirm that in faith and trust that, yes, we believe the fullness of salvation lies in the Roman Catholic Church, but we have to, you know, again, we have to affirm the validity of the spiritual longings that are evidenced in other world religions and in other, um, you know, philosophical or social movements. But she even takes it one step further. Hauslander, echoing the sentiments in Vatican II, which, by the way, she's proceeding by a decade at least, also wrote that Christ really is in everyone, even those who aren't Christian. And even though the fullness of truth is in the Catholic faith, that doesn't mean we can't learn from and love our brothers and sisters of other religious practices. She's wide open and very open to that idea that, no, there's genuine spiritual longing and there's genuine spiritual wisdom in other religious traditions. Final point to make about Hauslander, and it really goes back to this central question we addressed at the top of the show. Why have so many of us never heard of Carol Hauslander? Because there isn't enough about her, and I think she's eminently worthy of much more study. So how could someone so remarkably popular in her day, so influential, particularly in the great Catholic literary world of Great Britain, in the post-war era especially. How could someone like that be so easily forgotten? Even Dr. Spurl only ever heard of her because she happened to be working for a Catholic publishing company, Sophia Institute Press, who was acquiring and reprinting many of her works, including The Read of God. Well, there are a couple of theories I have on this. For one, there is just an overall decline of Catholic publishing in the post-Vatican II era. Well, it's a general decline of 
Catholic publishing in the post-Vatican II period. You know, there were a lot of, when you study theology, you encounter a lot of these people. There were a lot of Catholic publishers before Vatican II, because I think there was, this was part of the devotional practice of the Catholic Church, the encouragement of spiritual reading. Now, I'm sure there are many reasons for this. (laughs) If you're an optimistic person, you could argue Vatican II spent so much of its energy trying to revive a serious study of scripture that they set aside their push for more devotional writings. But if you're a bit of a pessimist, (laughs) or perhaps a realist, I'm fine with that too, you could recognize the spiritual crisis which existed in the church, especially in the Western world, as a result of some pretty significant public dissent and just a collapse of the prayer and devotional culture among most of the faithful. We've done a whole episode on this, by the way. I highly suggest going back and listening. (laughs) But overall, what no one can argue is that there is a significant, massive decline in spiritual reading among the lay faithful in the post-Vatican II era. He comes to help his servant Israel. A promise he made of mercy. There's one more reason here that we're not quite addressing as to why Carol Hauslander might have fallen a little bit more easily into obscurity. Here's the thing. Her writing is remarkable, but it is also different. (laughs) The read of God is filled with analogies and stories and sentimental religious dialogue. It is filled with poetry and even song. It is a very different way that we are used to reading spiritual literature as a culture. Listen, I just can't help but realize that it is Women's History Month and International Women's Day just passed us. And what's ironic is several men from this time of writing in Great Britain, contemporaries of Hauslander, seem to have withstood the test of time in popular Catholic circles. G.K. Chesterton, Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, even though he wasn't Catholic, (laughs) and even Hauslander's boss, Frank Sheed. 
But I'm also thinking of writers of fiction like Evelyn Waugh and even Graham Greene, who for Pete's sake wasn't even a practicing Catholic at the end of his life. (laughs) But I would wager more modern day Catholics are familiar with his work than they are with Hauslander's. Perhaps the thing that people have found difficult in reading her work over the years is her sentimental, beautiful, and even feminine spiritual voice. But here's the thing, that voice, that sentimental, beautiful, and even feminine spiritual voice is the very thing we need right now in our church. We need a softening, a slowing down so as to actually hear the voice of God in our lives. I'm going to end with Dr. Sproul's final take, and it is an important one, listeners. God bless all of you, and we'll see you in a few weeks. People say, you know, again, she has a big dose of Teresa of Lisieux in her, and it can get a little sugary. You know, you also have to remember, she's essentially just post-Victorian, and it can get a little sugary, it can get a little sentimental, and I think that perhaps was a factor, too, in her kind of going out of style for a while because it's just alien to our culture, very workaday and that kind of thing. But I always say, you know, yes, that's there, and I even will acknowledge it. But look, man, there is red meat below the surface. It all looks like sugary frosting, but red meat below. And there is so much, you know, just true and excellent stuff in her theology, which is why she's absolutely worthy of greater study and greater not, you know, people should know her more. So hopefully your your podcast is going to sell her to a new generation of Catholic readers. Thank you so, 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 so much again to Dr. Kelly Spurl for her amazing insights on Carol Hoslander and the Read of God. I'm going to post a link, by the way, to the article of how I found Dr. Spurl, so please check that out. Please also check out my website for information about The Well-Read Mom, where I originally found Carol Hauslander's book. And of course, thank you, thank you to the amazing Sister Sinjin again for letting me use one of their songs. I'm kind of obsessed with their music, and they have been very gracious, so thank you so much. Their amazing song, Magnificat. Please visit my website for information about their music as well. We'll be back in two weeks, folks. I hope your Lenten journey is going beautifully. We'll see you at the end of March. <laughs>